0: When you think of punk rock, you might think of this.
1: Well, Sheena is a punk
0: Or this. But do you ever think of this?
2: How you guys, doing? happy summer everybody! Lovely out there, right? So nice. Although I haven't lived in Problem that long and I worry a little bit when it gets hot. Because I've noticed a lot of people in town enjoy the all-natural deodorant. I don't understand it. All-natural deodorant, to me, is a lot like all-natural birth control. (laughs) If you seriously think it's working right now, you're probably a pregnant hippie. Uh, Such a mean start. Speaking of pregnant hippies, a lot of my friends are having kids lately.
0: We ask because the core tenets of punk rock seem to be a big part of today's comedy scene. In comedy today, there is a DIY ethic, a rich and vibrant scene, and a willingness to speak truth to power and tackle uncomfortable issues. Today, on The Future of What, we ask whether comedy is the new punk rock. Later on in the program, we'll hear from comedians Hari Kondabolu and Nathan Brannan. But first, we're going to go talk to the comedian you just heard in the clip we played, Amy Miller. Amy, welcome to the future of what? Hi, Portia. How's it going? I'm great. I'm so excited. You are the newly minted champion, Portland's yes. funniest person. Yep. Oh, congratulations. Thank
2: you. I'm so excited. That's Everyone so cool. was super funny, so it's a huge honor.
0: Yeah, and you stood drinks for
2: the losers. <laughs> I did buy drinks for a lot of people. I mean, you know, one for me, one for you, one for me, one for you. <laughs>
0: So, Amy, we asked you to come on because you are familiar with both the punk and comedy scenes. So I wanted you to just set the stage for us by describing punk rock in your words.
2: Uh, punk rock to me is very DIY, I would say. Um, my experience, uh, the punk rock experience is sort of close to my family. Um, my brother is in and has been for many years almost too many years uh if you ask his wife um in a band called Sam I Am which is a a pop punk band out of the East Bay in California and uh and he was uh he was sort of one of the bands that started up Gilman Street um and at the time you know I was very young and I didn't exactly know what was going on I knew that there was something huge happening partially because I was I was in the church at the time raising myself a good Baptist girl. <laughs> and um, and I know I could tell by their reactions to everything um, and how angry and worried the church was that something really major was happening. Ooh. Whereas, you know, at first I kind of thought he was just going to this warehouse to get wasted with his friends. <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, especially that movement, spe- specifically in the East Bay, was really about like finding Finding spaces to create um, and perform that were not initially performance spaces is really kind of about innovation and, um, you know, doing things on your own. And I think that we're seeing a lot more of that in the comedy scene, especially in Portland, um, but everywhere uh, with comics sort of finding pop-up spaces to do stand-up comedy and... Moving the art form in general out of its previous primary home, which is the comedy club, this sort of old guard of comedy clubs. Um, and it's getting, you know, it's a little grimier. Uh, comics are starting to look different, which is great, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Forty years ago, if someone asked you to draw a stand-up comic, we kind of all know exactly what he would look like. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, it's just uh, as an art form, really, kind of branching out, um, and uh, and people are getting a little bit more creative with it, with it, which is really exciting.
0: So, do you have any particular DIY experience yourself? Like, do you book your own shows? Like, how do you? interact.
2: I do. Yeah. I book, I book a couple of shows. I have a podcast that I don't record as often as I should. Um, but, and I have, yeah, I have a talk show and just also like a late night stand up show that happens at midnight once a month. And that is, is pretty punk rock. I mean, it's, you know, just sort of a chaotic midnight show at a clown bar, um, (laughs) that I just sort of created and gave it this religious theme it's called midnight mass and um <laughs> yeah i guess those are kind of the things that i do i mean i have you know i see friends uh kind of branching out a little bit more i know that a lot of the people that uh, i know who spend a lot of time on the road uh find you know have to find interesting ways to supplement their income so you know in comedy merch is obviously a big thing like it is in music Mm -hmm. um so you see a lot more people producing their own albums and you know doing it on the cheap so that they have something to sell when they're on the road um i'm working on a i'm gonna work on a set of pillowcases (laughs) awesome with my face on it that says i'm sleeping with amy miller (laughs) that's perfect that's like something people like to say and it's almost never true so (laughs) i'll just put it right on that right on there just make it make it true Make it true. I can't. You know, I don't always want to. Exactly. So <laughs>
0: you, it's much less work for you that way. Yeah. Yeah. How did you yourself get started in stand-up?
2: Um, I had a little bit of an emotional breakdown. I <laughs> uh, just had a really bad year, and so I had some things to get off my chest, but couldn't afford therapy. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. But also, I kind of—it uh, was a little bit of a fluke. I was a comedy fan— but not like you, w- like most stand-up comics when they start, they kind of already have the sort of lay of the land. Um, like, you know, you're going to talk to Hari Kondabolu later. Like, there are comics starting now as open micers that absolutely know who he is and follow his career. So, like, as a kid I had watched Eddie Murphy and Bill Cosby and stuff, but I didn't really know anything outside of that mm-hmm. about what was happening with stand-up. I just, um, at the time, I had sort of made a goal for myself to get over my stage fright uh, by the time I was 30, or in my 30th year. (laughs) Uh, And don't know why that's the thing that I chose. Uh, I kind of got bullied into it by a friend who was going to some open mics. Um, But you know, after the first, I mean really after the first time, which was just three minutes at this laundromat in San Francisco on Folsom Street, (laughs) where many of us get our start, I was sort of hooked right away. Uh, I mean, I felt like I was going to die probably because <laughs> I was not accustomed to being in front of people. Right. And I also was not a person who ever talked about my feelings. Uh-huh. Uh, so combining those two things all at once was pretty crazy.
0: Wow. What do you think it was that hooked you? Was it the feeling of, like, was it the laughter or was it?
2: Part of it was the laughter. A lot of it, to be honest, was the community. Um, you know, at the time... I'm living in San Francisco and um, I am from the Bay Area and I had fallen on hard times, you know, like a lot of people did around 2010. And comics were a group of people that I didn't have to really explain that to. Like they were all on hard times, right, you know, right. nobody was really doing great. So <laughs> it was nice to have this really accepting community of people that were also sort of struggling. And this was how... They got through that struggle, was talking about it and making people laugh about it. Um, The laughter certainly helped, but the community, I think, was a big part of it.
0: So would you say it's sort of like a punk rock scene or like really any kind of scene? I mean, I'm thinking about we've talked about scenes on this show before, indie rock scenes, the sort of alternative rock scene of the late 80s, early 90s in America you know, just having a community, like feeling like these are like-minded people. These are people who get me.
2: Absolutely. And I mean, not just a community, but an identity to some extent, you know? And I think, especially at that time, I was really looking for something like that. Like, what am I doing with my life? What, How do I stand out? What makes me different from other people? And, you know, kind of adopting this whole new thing was really crazy and also a weird choice like what a strange thing to want to be like I'm a stand up comic you know and right it's like even now that comedy's so popular and it's going through this this new boom people still look at you like you're crazy you know like why like you don't do that you know like
0: well that's funny cuz i think that's sort of part of the momentum of comedy right now because we're in this time when alternative comedy in particular is so it's just everywhere. It's it's appearing in so many places in podcasts. And, you know, you see people on TV shows and you hear them doing voiceovers in movies and just suddenly like their standups are everywhere. Yeah. And I feel like it's starting to get a little bit better because I really think that era that you were talking about where it's like basically there was Eddie Murphy, there was Steve Martin and there was, you know, somebody else like one other person. And that was it. If you had said, like, I'm going to be a stand-up comic, they're like, oh, you're going to wear an arrow through your head? Yeah. Like, what?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's not that there weren't more comics. There were plenty plenty of guys and women, you know, in comedy clubs or performing in the Catskills, you know? like You always hear about those guys, like Shecky Green or whatever. (laughs) Um, There were a lot of comics. There were just fewer inroads to exposure, and now we have so many, you know, that now it's like my – when my mom asks me, what, you know, what my long term plan is, I actually don't feel like as panicked as I might have, you know, forty years ago because there are so many options for how I can make money, like podcasts, like you mentioned, like you know, you can go on the road, you can do voice work. Um, there are just so many other places that stand up comics pop up. Um, Absolutely, that it's a little bit easier to get by, but. You know, I mean, I think, I think like, like punk, like the punk rock scene, I mean, you do kind of just start with nothing, you know, like those, those guys sort of, like you said before, like just pick up your instruments and even if you don't know how to play, you just get some noises out and we kind of do that with comedy for a long time until we figure out how to make it marketable, which has, you know, I mean, punk rock itself is totally, you know, commodified now, I mean. Right, Warp Tour is one of the biggest, you know, and it's <laughs> like, I mean, it's not really a fringe scene anymore, and I think that that's happening with comedy too. Well, Amy Miller is 2015's
0: Portland's funniest person. Yes, yeah. So, Amy, thank you so much for being with us on the future of what.
2: Thanks, Portia. We're so cool, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're so cool, cool. We're so cool, yeah, yeah. Two cool <laughs>
0: You're listening to The Future of What. In just a minute, we're going to talk to comedian Nathan Brannan. We'll be right back. Nathan Brannan is a Portland comedian and brand new father. Nathan, yay. yay! Welcome to the future of what? Thank you. I'm so happy to have you here.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to be here. I wish we had your baby. Ridiculous. Yeah, it's crazy. He knows more about being a celebrity <laughs> than I do.
0: <laughs> you are. You are a huge celebrity in Portland.
1: <laughs> Me? Uh. <laughs> well, you are.
0: You are a former Portland's funniest person.
1: Yeah. Which is very cool. Now I'm all washed up, but oh, back man. then it was it was a good time. That was the heyday.
0: Yeah. So tell us what we're talking about today basically is 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 comedy the new punk rock. And the reason that I'm saying that is basically because punk rock, you know, originally was something that people felt like anyone can do. Like that was the whole point. It's like I've got something to say. I don't know how to play this guitar. I'm going to get up on stage and just do it.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah. It, it's funny. I was thinking about that, uh, how, yeah, you can't do it all yourself. Like, uh, like not to be all like cliche and, and say like every band started in their garage and stuff, but like with comedy, you can, you can just put it out, whatever you're thinking about, if you put it out there so it translates to other people, there's no limit to what you can do. Like when I first started, uh, me and some buddies, we had a green screen and some editing equipment, and that was it. And we started making sketches, and I think some of them are still up. Really? Like, it's nuts, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> They're not the greatest sketches, but, yeah. I mean, like, we thought it was funny. We didn't have to go through anybody.
0: Right. We just you just did, did, did it.
1: it. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: And now, when did you start actually doing stand-up? Like, did you have to get up the nerve to just go to an open mic?
1: Uh, no. I guess my very first time... I, I wasn't really a comedian back then. Like uh, <laughs> I was uh, hanging out with some fr- fraternity brothers of mine, and like w- we'd always have fun at the lunch table and stuff. And a couple of them were, were actually in a band, and they played at this coffee shop. And I went to go support them, and their last five minutes they stopped what they were doing and donated their last five minutes to me doing stand-up. And I had no idea they were gonna do that. And, oh my god! Uh, the person running it was like, "All right, come up." And then they got the whole crowd to start like, "Yeah, get up there!" And they were like, "Just talk about what you talked about at the at the lunch table." <laughs> and that was the very first time. And like, they laughed, and I was just like, I was hooked. Yep. After that, the
0: laugh got you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Way totally. Back. That's what Amy Miller just said. She said, yeah, the it's laughs something. get you.
1: I, you can't even really describe it. It's just, you know, like, if you say something you mean to say and then people are like, ha, yeah. It's like that. This is what I want. This is what I want to do. <laughs> I'll be
0: doing this forever. Yep. <laughs> From now on. Forget it. Bye, Mom. I'm calling Mom. Like, yep. forget it, Mom. This is it.
1: <laughs> Let me rip up this degree real yep. <laughs> quick and write some jokes on the back.
0: <laughs> yeah, sorry, Mom. <laughs> Send her a letter. Um. So I found this quote from Chris Gethardt, which I really like and cuz I think it's perfect. So it says someone once described punk rock to me as not about violence or crazy outfits, it's people asking why things have to be the way they are. Yeah. Right? I dig and I was that like, "Oh, that is comedy right now."
1: Yeah. It's it's funny. I uh I recently like I have a joke that I I kind of aim to do that that it's it's not finished yet, but like, I want people to start talking about it. And I was in a place where it's a very, very conservative uh, area. And I was doing the joke. Uh, uh, I don't want people. It's not finished, so I don't want to talk, tell people <laughs> don't what the say joke's it on the air. about. That's yeah. okay. Uh, it's, it could be looked at as unpatriotic. Uh-huh. Uh, it, like, if you just look at the first sentence of it. Uh-huh. Uh, and I try to get people to go with me right. on it. Uh, and asking a lot of questions, and I did it in this super conservative area, and they hated it until I got done with the joke, and I go, okay, what, what did you not like about it? And they started telling me all this different stuff about why they didn't like it. And uh, basically it boiled down. They, they were accusing me of being a bad American uh, because of the joke, and we started going back and forth like, why is it, why is it like that? Why do you uh, automatically assume? Like, you just applauded for me i have a joke about uh if my baby fell in an outhouse, i was just leaving there <laughs> and they they applauded that right they <laughs> right. cheered it all, oh yeah the hell with that baby yet this this joke now i'm a terrible person right and uh, uh a couple of veterans came up to me and shook my hand and agreed with me and then when i was leaving uh there were a group of people smoking outside that were having a debate about the joke i just told like what does it really mean to be an American and all this different stuff and that's it's so crazy to think about that stuff comes from material
0: that's amazing I mean that's like really that's like the best thing you could possibly do right?
1: yeah right like like I already have an album I've already recorded and there's a lot of other stuff and after a while you don't want to just make jokey jokes just for the sake of oh yeah they'll laugh at this or you know you would like for people to talk about it or art. Start a discussion or something. Yeah. Uh, let have them leave with something after it's all said and done.
0: So let's take a minute right here and listen to a clip from uh, Hannibal Buress' show.
1: Bill Cosby, pull your pants up, black people. I was on TV in the '80s. <laughs> yeah, it was rape, women. Bill Cosby. So kind of brings it down a couple of notches. I don't curse on stage, but yeah, you're a rapist, so. <laughs>
0: So, so there's a situation where we have a guy who himself is not, you know, super, super famous. Yeah. But he's absolutely taking on one of the most beloved comedy icons. And I think, you know, I think that speaks to exactly what we were talking about. I mean, at this point, yeah. comedians are kind of speaking truth to power. Like, that's where it's at.
1: Yeah, you, you should be able to talk about anything. And, and, and that's the thing. Just because, you know, he's a legend and stuff doesn't mean you still don't question why do I have to listen to this dude if he's doing this and, and stuff like that? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't ring true, right? So, right. Uh, and it gave. <laughs> I think that's a perfect example. It gave people something to talk about on the street afterward, which is what everybody ended up doing the second the show was over. Oh yeah, so,
0: I mean that was everywhere yeah. on the internet.
1: I mean, and then you think about a lot of stuff, after, like with, with the fallout of it. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of women out there, you know. Like, they addressed that. If he hadn't have actually said that stuff in that clip, a lot of people wouldn't even have given anything a th- second thought. Mm-hmm. And they would just be living out their lives like nothing happened. Yeah. You know? That's
0: yeah. I mean, he made a big difference. Yeah. It's, it's kind of wild. It's
1: crazy to, to think that that comes from comedy and stuff. Yeah. It, it makes you uh, proud to be a comedian and be, well, not be in the mix, but at least attempt to be in the mix of, of all that stuff going on. Right. Where it's uh- Like back in the day, I think it's so weird on, on Cosmos, they talked about like uh, back in the day they have places like coffee shops and stuff where people would go and it didn't matter what kind of status level you were at, you come and you exchange ideas and everything. and uh, that springboarded a lot of like exploration and, and thought on in different kinds of discourse on I think it's pretty cool when when jokes, comedy can, serve that same purpose. Totally. I think it has a good uh, way of disarming uh, or taking down those walls that people put up in between, uh, like, uh, their ideals and, and talking to people about them. Like, yeah. it, it makes the discussion, though, know, is a, uh, icebreaker is a terrible word to say <laughs> for it, but that's.
0: Are you ever afraid? Do you ever go anywhere and perform in front of an audience and just think, oh, crap, I really can't do this
1: bit? tonight uh not so much I can't do it but more like I'm gonna have to deal with a lot more when I get off stage uh I for for a while now I, I've always made a point if I can't if I'm not willing to talk to somebody who has a problem with me or, or what I said uh after the show if I if I'm not willing to stand my ground on it then you know I won't even I won't try to mention it and stuff like that
0: and I feel like that's what's happening. I feel like people, it's changed so much because I feel like people are now going to comedy clubs to get that kind of an experience. Yeah. Not yeah, yeah. just, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to go and get drunk and laugh at some funny, like, dick jokes. Yeah. I feel like that's how it used to be.
1: I mean, in, even if you if you look at, like, the outrage over uh, some comedians right now over things that they've said, uh, like, if you think about the, the reason people are outraged is because they know what kind of... Uh, Power that that can potentially have behind mm-hmm. it, like they they're they're mad. It's you know it's mainly towards famous people, but they assume that, like famous comedians. But they assume that the stuff that these comedians say, people will internalize it. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's is that kind of powerful? Like the fact that people are getting upset at all. You yeah, know, which yeah. is pretty cool.
0: And you have a joke that you're doing recently that I really like that's about your white son, you know, son who looks white, right? He's (laughs) he's biracial, but you being a black man sitting in a park holding a white baby, but you know, what looks like a white baby to people. And it's like, so you bring your race into comedy, of course, and, you know, because it's part of your experience, it's part of your life. But, I mean, I think that's so interesting in this community. I mean, Portland is, like, one of the whitest cities in America.
1: I'm finding that out. <laughs> uh, it, it took me decades, but I think <laughs> I think it might be a little white here yeah, in Portland. Just a little. Uh, yeah, it's it's. I mean, I like to talk about stuff. Uh, yeah, that, that comes from. I learned that a long time ago. When you talk about things that are from your personal life, if people get offended or are really upset, and it's like, oh well, you're getting mad at my life. So yeah, I mean, that doesn't change anything. So it's <laughs> you can think whatever you want.
0: But isn't that yeah. interesting that that is I mean, pe- that's what people in comedy are doing right now is they're actually talking about their life experiences. They're not just trying to whitewash it. I mean, literally whitewash it or just <laughs> be sort of like inoffensive or like I wouldn't want I just want to tell a joke. I don't want to have anyone think about what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, I man, I I see I used to see a lot of comedians do that like when i was first starting and like as as time goes on you end up just going through the motions if you're not really trying to make it something that you are still excited about if you're just oh this will make them laugh like after a while you do it long enough like i'm pretty sure all the other comedians on the show like you do it long enough you can go oh yeah i know how to make people laugh Mm -hmm. at this point that's not that's not what's going to keep it fresh and and stuff like that you you keep challenging yourself uh to be more honest and 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 have it resonate with everyday people, mm-hmm. I think.
0: And do you, are you finding that? I mean, you, you gave that example about that particular joke, but, like, especially with the race stuff, like, are you finding people saying stuff to you about that after the show?
1: Yeah, uh, both sides. <laughs> both sides. I, it's so funny. Yeah, I, I never really would have expected people to be... Like, some people do get, like, because I, I talk about it. I don't really bite my tongue about being black here. And, and you know, and, and just in general... Uh, especially not anymore, and like uh, some people come. Oh, I, I felt that was a little too too biased. I was like, of course it was biased. <laughs> <laughs> what do you What do you think? I'm gonna. I'm not a politician. I always right. tell. It, I'm not a politician. I'm a comedian. Right. Like if you don't like it, that's fine. Uh, but I I don't know. I I get people. It's it's nice when it speaks to people. Like we were. I was at a, a club recently. And I was talking about being a black dad and, like, all the things you deal with just by being... Like, it's already hard enough to be a dad, like, the way right. society looks at you as a male trying to take care of a baby. And then add on top of that, like, being a black dude, so now like, the stereotype is you're not even there. You're right. not even there to be, uh you know, a bad dad, so... Uh, <laughs>
0: you're already a bad dad. Yeah, you should yeah. be, like, at a bar or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, right off the bat. <laughs> and so I love it when there's actual other black dads in the audience mm-hmm. and... uh they come up to me and, cause there's not a lot of places you can just talk that stuff out. You know, yeah. you can't just go have a have a support group of black dads <laughs> and talk about going to the store that day and how, how yeah. rough it was. Uh, <laughs> so it's pretty cool. They come up to me and then they tell me their stories and like we we trade back and forth. And it's it's real awesome. Like all this stuff is coming from my mind, you mm-hmm. know. Like, yeah. just to think about that, it's crazy.
0: And resonating with people. I think that's amazing. And I feel like that's how it used to be with punk rock. You know, it's like yeah, people saw a band and they just saw them get on stage and just play some crazy stuff. And, like, they thought, I can do that. Or, like, they're speaking to me. Yeah. But they're doing what they're saying. That's mine, too.
1: And, yeah, and, and the things that they, they talked about and stuff, kind of, yeah, the same way with comedy. Like, people took that stuff... And they started talking about it in Mm -hmm. in other places, like in bars, coffee shops, all this different, on the street, uh, having conversations about stuff that they didn't have the day before, you know? Uh, I think that's really awesome.
0: It is. It is. Nathan Brannon is a Portland comedian, and he is a professional black dad. So if you would (laughs) like to get into
1: his support group. Going pro, everybody.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nathanbrannon.com. Nathan, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. All right, hello, and welcome back to The Future of What. We now have in the studio with us Adam Triplett, the assistant manager of the local Portland comedy club, Helium, which is awesome. And we also have the lovely Amy Miller back with us. Hi. Hello. Hi. Hi. So, Adam, talk to us a little bit about the options comedians have today for live performances.
3: For live performances? Um, Well, you have the bigger comedy clubs, places like Helium... Or, uh, you know, the parlor in San Francisco uh, or sorry, the parlor in Seattle, the punchline in San Francisco. Those are kind of the big, big venues you can get to. Mm -hmm. But now there's a lot of places where you can, you know, just set up bars. There's comedy nights all over. There's always stage time everywhere. Mm -hmm. So it's not just the the big comedy clubs. There's places everywhere.
0: How have you seen ch- comedy change in the last few years? Like when you since you started working?
3: That's exactly what I've seen change. Is that is that move? There's all there's stage time all over the place, oh, rather wow. than just being at you know a couple open mics. I think there were like two or three open mics at first in Portland that I that were really kind of on the radar, and now there's there there are mics everywhere that you can get to. Right. Yeah.
0: So when you guys book people in at Helium. Have you seen a change in the type of people that you're booking over the last few years?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, just if for nothing else to see the the caliber of comics, and because they get all this stage time, and they can uh, they get better very quickly. Mm-hmm. And you'll see people who six months ago were nowhere near the point where you'd you'd even consider booking them. Uh, they can they can rise up very quickly. And and get on your radar very quickly.
0: Wow! So now, talk about the audiences. How have audiences changed?
3: Um, I think audiences. I I mean, there's there's a stereotype in Portland that the audiences are very smart here, Uh and I think that that's true for the most part. Uh But I think that you, I think that there are some things that Portland could really work on. (laughs) Uh, What?
0: What? Tell us so that (laughs) they're listening to the radio, so we can tell them this um, is what you need to work
3: on, Portland just uh, they get very tight they're not willing to hear somebody out on a lot of things oh, they'll really? they'll it's kind of if you lose them in the first couple lines, they're not gonna follow you the rest of the way.
0: But would that be like an ultra PC sort of thing? like is it if somebody s- seems like they're coming across as kind of like we were talking about Amy like you know a little bit non-PC in some way that they're not going to go there with you or is it the opposite if if you start talking about something more racy they're not interested in going
3: I think that I think it's a PC thing but I think it's not that they get offended for people who aren't at the show like they gotcha. get they they're gotcha. they're worried about they're worried that the, the, I understand why they do it because your fear is that you're gonna you're gonna like be caught laughing at something and then all of a sudden it's gonna take some <laughs> left turn and it's gonna feel like a rally and then you're the one who was laughing at this monster oh, and man. you endorsed this and yes, you encouraged you this. this and I, I understand that but trust the performer I that's guess so interesting. is what I would say
0: that's so interesting because I feel like you know in the era of Andrew Dice Clay nobody was thinking that right like they were just laughing at him they thought he was hilarious right well again Portland crowds are smart <laughs> So they're not those people. Right. No. They're the other people. That's interesting. (laughs) That's funny. So this year was the fifth year for uh, Portland's Funniest Person competition. Yeah. And that was held at Helium. And so I I judged that for two nights in the semifinals. And I saw that exact same thing because I thought a lot of the people who came up and started talking, they would often make disclaimers to the audience. Like, no, don't worry. I'm not going to say something racist. Even though this joke starts out in this way that you're not sure, like they're like, don't yeah, worry, it. Yeah, they've been Portland. conditioned. They've yeah. been conditioned
3: by crowds that they feel like they have to they have to brace the crowds and say, yeah. stay with me on this, please. Yeah. Because I'm not going to leave you out in the cold.
0: I was really surprised. Right. Because when I've been to comedy shows in other towns, nobody does that.
2: It's not Yeah, a thing. it's interesting when you when you go on the road, too, and you've been so trained and you find yourself in, like, Boise, Idaho, going like, oh, sorry for saying bitch, and they're like, we don't care. Yeah, I don't they're know like, why what?
0: You're... Why did you stop this
3: joke? Yeah. <laughs> and they're <laughs> like, bitch? And Portland, it, comics perform differently in Portland than they would in other places.
2: Sure, well, ideally, you should, but there's always, like, a, you know, a couple days that you sort of forget, or you find yourself traveling with, like, these kind of, like, Buzz phrases, you know, like mm-hmm. you find yourself in Texas saying heteronormative and they're like, we don't know what that is. <laughs> no offense to Texas. but right. I mean, along with the very progressive uh, politics in Portland, there's also like a trendiness of it. And there mm-hmm. are all these buzz phrases that we start to put into our stand up. And then when you go to other places, they're like, no and you'd be raunchy like, right right <laughs> yeah I mean I think that uh going back to the audiences too I think audiences are getting much savvier and that's the good part of the, the current boom mm-hmm. like that's a positive part of it but like any other boom you know I mean it happens in music too you're always gonna have sort of your posers I guess you would call it mm, <laughs> like people yeah. that know like oh I've seen Amy Schumer's TV show or whatever so I know that stand-up comedy is a really cool thing to do now but they don't all necessarily like it or get it or want to be there. It's just like this is what I've heard people are into. Totally. So I'm coming to check it out. So there's kind of a unnecess- you know, an unfortunate flip side to it but you know if you have someone like Hari uh, and he sells out a show for the most part people are there to see him because he's found a niche. He's found an audience and that's great but there's also a certain number of people who are just going to wander into the comedy club because they know that that's what is a really cool thing to do right now and there's a sense of entitlement that comes along with that you know it's like I didn't research what kind of comedy you did at all Mm -hmm. but I have some expectations and if you don't meet them (laughs) I'm gonna yell out and right. let you know, you know, and then right. you have poor Adam who has to throw those people out.
0: Well, that was one of the most interesting things you told me, Adam, is that you have to throw somebody out of helium at least once a week.
3: Uh, Once every two weeks, I think, is about the okay, average. Okay, that's the yeah. average, once every two yeah.
0: weeks. Yeah. But on, like, a really hot week, you might have. Yeah, there's there's
3: some weekends where, yeah, it happens two or three times, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. That's
0: so amazing to me. I mean, what do people have to do to get
3: thrown out? Um. Well, just... It, what happens more than anything is people will start yelling at the stage and they're not exactly heckling, but they're being disruptive and, and they're always drunk and they always think they're helping uh, and they're never helping.
0: Uh, Portland, city of helpers. Your <laughs> mom
2: looks so shocked. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Portia's mom's in here. And she, she, you're just so, so shocked anyone would be so impolite, right? Yeah, think how we feel when it
3: happens. (laughs) (laughs) They get even more impolite when they get outside of the room. (laughs)
2: Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) It is, and I think that's another part of the boom. And also, also the I think my theory is like the rise of social media culture. Like everyone has a valid opinion now. Everyone Mm. has something to say, and it can be said whenever you feel like saying it, even when someone is maybe on stage trying to do a job. Right. So it's not always, like, aggressive heckling. A lot of time people just really think they're helping out.
0: Yeah. Like, you need help. You look like you need some help. Right. Let me Let me fix this for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fab- and, fabulous. And, and
2: that also goes back to, like, people who, are, people who are going because they know it's trendy. But stand-up comedy makes a lot of people, like, physically uncomfortable. Like, they feel awkward watching it. So even though we have it totally under control, there's a lot of people that just, like, don't want to give you that chance. You know? They have an opening... Or you're silent for a second because you're building a joke, and they feel so uncomfortable in that silence that they have to fill it. And it's just like, comedy's not for you. you wow. Know? Yeah. Like, if you feel awkward, then you're never going to like this. Right. You know?
0: If so you're going to feel like you have to talk every time there's a silence.
2: Yeah. And that's so, real. That's a real yeah. oh, nervousness absolutely.
0: people get. Yeah.
2: yeah. It's not malicious, it's just. They, do, they don't feel good, so they, they should, have to say something. They should think about rock shows. Exactly. You know? It's very loud there. You know, there's yeah. not
0: a lot of silence, so they should perhaps take that up instead. Yeah. Well,
3: it's probably that same impulse that when, like, there's a lull in conversation, someone will just pull their phone out and mm. look at it. <laughs> and I think that they just have that same kind of thing in a comedy club where they're ready to just, they just need to fill that void and there can't be any, any dips in the energy at any time. Right. Right. Yeah.
2: And, that, and that's been an interesting transition as more people do shows in rock clubs, too, because not only is that, like, a very trendy thing to go to, but it's also like, well, this is a rock club. I see bands here, so it doesn't matter if there's a comic on stage. I can still talk whenever I want because this is mississippi studios or whatever you know like it's a noisy bar i'm supposed to be able to talk and it's just like no you can't you can't do that here
0: that's a real problem we've had that because we record we've recorded almost all of the comedy albums that we've put out at mississippi studios and there's a bar in the back
2: Mm -hmm. and
0: people just stand at that bar and talk no matter what's going on on stage and you're like hey guys guess what did you notice how there's only one person up there yeah one microphone
2: upstairs on that balcony i mean when i went to cameron's Taping, and there was that one woman just talking the whole time, and it's just like she's making an album. Like you're trying to get a guest spot, yeah. And she really was.
0: We got her name. She's on the liner notes. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) it was ridiculous. But yeah, it's totally. It's very odd. But yet, there we've since we're having that crossover to comedians and rock clubs. It is a real problem that we have to think about.
3: Yeah, audiences kind of have to be trained. Yeah, they really do, and and especially uh, environment has something to do with it. But just in general, I think comedy audiences. Because they're new to comedy, they they just have to be trained. They have to learn the ins and outs of being a good audience member. Yeah, totally. And it,
2: and it also, I mean, it's nuanced because some comics really thrive in that environment and they love it. Like Moshe Kasher is a good example. Like he came up in San Francisco and he really got strong doing he's crowd amazing work. Amazing. Like, he's so with funny and he's amazing. Such, yeah, and yeah. he has such well written jokes. But he's also kind of waiting for someone mm-hmm. to say something. Yeah because that's his strong suit but that's not everyone's bag you know like not maria bamford doesn't want to engage with a heckler you know she's got a good thing going on like let her get to it (laughs) totally so i think people just feel like oh i saw this one comic who who was really funny every time someone talked so i'm gonna make this show just like that one even though they're totally different humans (laughs) you know and it's like The difference between Marie and Moshe is like going to a rock show or like going to the symphony, you know, like (laughs) which one is which Amy behave the same way. Yeah,
0: totally. All right. That is it for our time. So we are going going to do a little outro thingy. Adam Triplett is the assistant manager at Helium Comedy Club and Amy Miller is Portland's funniest person. 2015. Thanks, you guys. Thank
3: Thank you. you.
4: Of your album? Yes, I can explain the title. Um, 2042, according to census figures and the news media that keeps reporting them, uh, is the year when white people will be the minority in this country. And so, to create a title that I thought would be interesting and draw attention, I called it Waiting for 2042.
0: <laughs> yes. I like that title. Yes. Um, So today on the show, we are talking about this this idea of is comedy the new punk rock, which you and I have discussed in the past. Yes. And I wanted to read you this uh, this quote from Chris Gethardt because I think it's really good. Right. Someone once described punk rock to me as not about violence or crazy outfits. It's people asking why things have to be the way they are. And so I think that is a better way to put it, you know, when yes. we're, we're talking about com- is comedy the new punk rock? Because I really feel like when I go to see a comedian like you or Nathan or Amy that we've had on the show today, that's what's happening is they're saying, why do things have to be this way?
4: Right. I mean, I, I don't think comedy is the new punk rock. I mean, I think for me, comedy, you, some comedy you could classify as punk potentially. Right. Mm-hmm. Because of the the DIY kind of stuff, the fact that like. It's just you and a microphone. In terms of production values, it's so direct in the same way that, you know, punk musicians, you you know, from from the history of punk, it's just like, we don't know how to play our instruments, we'll figure it out. We'll make it work in any kind of space. Comedians perform in any kind of space. But I wouldn't say it's the the new punk rock. One, because comedy has its own history. Stand-up has its own history that predates punk rock music. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, has its own history of rebels that predate punk rock music. And also I think it does a disservice to like punk musicians now who are making incredible. you know, there's new punk rock that is the new punk rock. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's, you know, there are voices and certainly, you know, just like anything in capitalism, it gets co-opted. Right. And so there's tons of, you know, punk bands or the idea of punk or the fashion of punk that's been co-opted and mainstreamed as part of a capitalist enterprise. And I think the same is true with comedy, you know, like they're, com is, is if we're saying comedy is the new punk rock is Larry the cable guy part of the new punk rock maybe not maybe we wouldn't argue that you know he's he's a big corporate force right and he but he's definitely comedy so i i would argue more that there are comedians who have are either have punk aesthetics or punk sensibilities uh, am I allowed to curse on the show I think so okay are we John because oh, I, you know great. Kathleen Hanna, uh, who of course you are very familiar with, uh, uh, the legendary Kathleen Hanna described me and my comedy as you know being as Hari Kondabolu is punk as, f-. Mm-hmm. and it, it was a hell of a compliment coming from Kathleen Hanna. Um, and I thought about that a lot, and I'm like, w- why would she say that? Because I mean I don't see myself as a <laughs> punk artist, but I I think about it as. I'm challenging norms. Mm-hmm. I'm making people uncomfortable. Uh, it's not for everybody. Right. The people that are into it are really into it. It connects with them on a deeper level. Punk often allowed for a release. And so there, there's not necessarily mosh pits or things of that nature, but there is a release. There's a cathartic release with an audience that understands what I'm talking about and, and with the notes that I am hitting.
0: Well, sure, with laughter. That's oh, a cathartic release. Absolutely. Absolutely.
4: absolutely. And so I, I think that comedy in that way... If, could be seen as as punk maybe not punk music but as punk and i think that's that's a very valid thing to discuss so yeah i i don't think i would see it as the new punk rock mm-hmm. i think it has its own space and certainly um you know does do a lot of things that punk had done and certainly for me i and i've thought about that a lot like what kind of punk artist do i want to be uh-huh and i've and i've always made you know the dichotomy between the sex pistols and the clash let's start early on right right and i want to be the clash (laughs) i don't want to be the sex pistols Uh i don't want to just disrupt right i don't want to just make noise not that there isn't validity to that right i want to have a clear message with Mm -hmm. what i'm doing i want to make sure people know why I'm doing it and what it is I'm saying exactly right I don't want to just be a racket and it was a pointed right it was noise that was made for a reason but I want people to know exactly what the reason is and so certainly like you know that those that's a that's, those are punk sense that's two different ways of looking at punk music from early on and I certainly like have chosen a direction that's a classroom that's what I want
0: Right. And that's that's totally dovetailing with something that Nathan Brandon just said, because he said he was talking to a conservative audience. He said some stuff. And afterwards, he had some people say, we think you're not American. We think you're right. un American <laughs> Right. because of what you're saying. And then he said on his way out of the club, he heard a group of people talking, having a debate amongst themselves about what it is to be an American. Right. And he's like, oh, my God, my job here is done. Yes, exactly. Right? Like, that is what I am trying to achieve. like exactly. To get these people talking. And that's why I feel strongly that uh, that comedy at at least alternative comedy at least certain alternative comedians are kind of the new punk rock because i feel like it's getting people talking about the issues that we need to talk about so desperately today that for some reason rock music has left behind right i don't know where rock music is but right again now.
4: i think that it hasn't been left behind it just hasn't been mainstreamed in the way that when punk was starting you know it was mainstreamed right like it's corporations that own the radios, it's corporations that own all this technology, it's corporations that are funding major artists. Like there's less diversity, you know, in the mainstream. There's more diversity than ever because of the internet. But in terms of public voices, you know i mean there are punk bands that are making incredible music some that's very political some that's still made out of their garage and so they're the new punk rock and they've and they're continuing that that you know we can argue what's punk and what's not punk in terms of punk rock music but i still think that those artists are doing that so i don't think that necessarily alternative comedy is the new punk rock but again it 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 has the similarities i mean i think there's a spirit there's a reason why when i release the the record on Kill Rock Stars, I met so many musicians that could connect with me. Mm-hmm. And whether they were, you know, whatever they classify themselves as a punk band or an indie band, it's because we had that in common, similar values, the idea that we're pushing the envelope in our own way, the fact that we didn't need to depend on other people to make it happen, you right. know, like we got a push from a label, which was great. But it was still, you know, it wasn't like we... Um, were cultivated and given money from the beginning to create something. We had to fight for it. And so certainly, like, I have felt very connected to musicians who have those sensibilities because of that. And and I see them in some ways as closer to me than other comics. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a there's a hip-hop group in um, Seattle called the Blue Scholars. Mm-hmm. And the Blue Scholars, to me, like, we are brothers. Like, we're on the same, you know, I'm friends with Sabzi and Gio. And to me, like, that's part of my wave even Mm -hmm. though they're not comics right and artistically like we share a lot of the same ethos and a lot of what we want out of out of our art and the way we want to impact an audience and so you know would i consider myself you know would would i consider comedy the new hip-hop or hip i wouldn't you Mm -hmm. know even though there's spoken word and there's clear messaging more so than maybe you know other music because there's it's just you're focusing on the words um but I do see like the ways it connects Mm -hmm. or or the same thing why comedy could be seen as poetry, you know?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I guess I'm just thinking about, you know, comedians are sort of ubiquitous right now. So it's like they're ever in podcasts and then more than ever. And yeah. And in television, I mean, people are getting jobs as writers on really good shows. Right. People are showing up as actors on shows. You know, every time I go to see a movie, TJ Miller is one of the voices. I'm like, what the hell is going on? (laughs) Why are you always in my ear? Like, It's just—it's kind of great. Like, it's this weird renaissance moment for comedy, and yet it's it's comedy of a specific sort. It's personal. It's, like, the yes. personal as, as political, you know? I feel like—and then, of course, there's people out there like Kurt Braunohler, who's really more just weird. Right. Like, more, like, but sort he, of—
4: He's playing with the form, though, in exactly. ways that a lot of people haven't. Yeah.
0: Right. So it's—you know, so it's not always we're just talking about race, class, and gender. Right. But it's it's often still it's the personal as political because I am playing with the form. I'm doing something different. I'm bringing something new to this. Right. It's, so it's not just gonna a, such be such an s- exciting time. The standard
4: three chords. It's not gonna be the same way that it's presented. It's not gonna sound like a late night T V set polished and perfect. Right. It's it's not gonna be like whatever comedy you've been taking in for the last decade. It's it's gonna be different. So I mean Kurt, again, fits perfectly into, you know, the Kill Rockstars lineup and was the first to release a record. And, yeah. and it made complete sense to me. Yeah, yeah exactly.
0: And it's just been amazing because so many people, I mean, it's almost like an embarrassment of riches at this point. Yeah, it's You amazing. know, it's just everyone, I keep going see, to see people and I'm just like, oh my God, that person's fabulous too. Right, right. And that's so different. I mean, don't, wouldn't you say that 10 years ago that was not the case in comedy?
4: Or maybe fifteen. What the idea of discovering new people, or just
0: that kind of alternative comedy, like personal political, putting yourself out there, really saying something.
4: Well, I th- I think it was there before too. I think it's different now because of the internet mm. and podcasting and, and podcasting. all the thing that so comes all with all the it. channels. All for the it. channels for it. so it wasn't like before you would have that, but then you'd you know what is that person's name? You can't look them up. You can't Google them, there's no websites, there's no, like you just hope to see them again and then you hope somebody discovers them and makes them bigger so their stuff is around, right? Right. You can't just look up something on YouTube and I wanna see more clips of them. So now more than ever, like you can have somebody doing something distinct that might not be for everyone, but for the people it's for, they'll find you Mm -hmm. and they'll come to more shows and they'll buy your record. And I think that's that's the big difference. I think the big difference. I mean, alternative comedy, people challenging norms. I mean, you have Lenny Bruce, you have Bill Hicks, you have Richard Pryor, you have George Carlin. I mean, there's a huge history of that. And there's people on the underground also who've been doing things like that forever forever. But now if you do it, you get heard in a way, you know, like I have uh, 50 to 60,000 Twitter followers, whatever that means. And a blue check next to my name, whatever that means. (laughs) But would somebody um, who's doing the stuff I do and like and the things I like to push, would I have gotten that much attention? I mean, pre-Twitter, pre-blue checks, whatever, would I have gotten that much attention and found a way to influence media on my own? Right. I wouldn't have. No. And it's because there's this there's this boom in comedy. There's a boom in social media and there's ways to reach the people you want to reach specifically. Mm -hmm. You know, you can you can find your audience all over the world. Mm -hmm. And that's what's the difference. And I think that's a big part of this boom. You know, you know, I I might not have commercials on TV all the time promoting my specials. And I might not have like the biggest venues and all these giant promoters. But I have my people, and mm-hmm. they'll find me. And right. that wasn't the case 20 years ago. It was impossible.
0: Right. And I think, you know, when you look at how it used to be, I mean, I'm trying to even picture how you would make a living as a comedian if oh. you didn't get yourself on some kind of touring circuit, you know, something that you a could really... A grueling touring circuit that was
4: only clubs. I mean, the yeah. idea of doing other venues. I mean, people had done other venues, but you had to be a bigger comic to do the film more or to right. do these giant things. And now, like... You know, I'm not uh, Chris Rock level. I'm like, you know, a comic that's doing fairly well. But like I can do the Neptune in Seattle. I could book a rock club in, in Portland. I could book a rock club like The Independent in in San Francisco. I did the Troubadour in L.A. Like I have enough people that will come to those things. And I don't need to depend on a comedy club to put me up, to, to pay my way. To, you know, I'll be fine. I'll make more of the cut. Right. You know, I, I don't need uh to use a comedy club necessarily and have a two drink minimum enforced on people that don't want a two drink right. minimum you know comedy clubs are still important and they still certainly build a base in certain places you know and i you know i perform at helium in, in portland and it's been great and that's also one of my favorite clubs because of the intimacy and the way they build the room and how professional they are but you don't you know you don't necessarily need the clubs the way you want. If I want to do a club, I can do a club. And in some places, if I don't want to do it, I won't. Right. Like in Seattle at this point, you know, I don't really want to do clubs. Like I have enough of an audience, I could do whatever I want. And right. Maybe in San Francisco to some level too if I wanted to. And that's great. Like you're not um, held hostage by the bookers. Mm-hmm. You're not held hostage by certain gatekeepers who judge first from whatever their tastes are, whether you are making it or not. You have your own numbers you can mm-hmm. prove to people that you're valuable. Things go viral. You can find other networks. You don't, you don't need some random old white dude with money to say, <laughs> this is it. This is the next right. big thing. I'm gonna make you. I'm sunny. gonna make you. No one can make you anymore in the same way. You That's know, so amazing. You can still. I mean, still, of course, if at a certain level you need the push and you need money if you want to make a television show or make something bigger or, or, or fund a movie, even with crowdfunding, it still helps when someone just writes you a check versus a large campaign for a project, right? Right. But at the same time, like, I'm not dependent on that. Right. If I want to make a movie and no one's gonna fund it, I'm gonna get funders. I'll make it myself. And maybe it won't have the same production values, but it'll still get out there.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I think that's so interesting because I don't think it's really the same in music. I think hmm. in music, you know, it's it's tr- the internet provides a similar function in music. You know, if you if you make a music and you put it out on the internet, people can find you, right. people can become fans. Right. But I feel like music and comedy are consumed differently right now, and yeah. they're valued differently. I feel like comedy is valued right now in a very significant way. And like we talked about you know, when you made your record, it's like nobody is going to just listen to one piece of Waiting for 2042. They're going to listen to the whole thing. They want to hear everything you have to say. They don't want to just hear like one tiny, a single
4: I mean, that's one thing I've discovered. Like, is we've had it on Spotify, but not the full album. We've had bits on it, and it ends up leading to more people buying the record because it feels like this is a great bit, but like, where else? Where's right. is this record going? And the record flows like a record, like something from beginning to end is supposed to go together in a certain order, and that right. was very deliberate. And, you know, and some, I think some comics, they're collections of jokes, and there's nothing wrong with a, a compilation of your best bits. But, I've always loved records that, you know, had these amazing callbacks and had their own arc and narrative to them. Like, they, these jokes are supposed to be together because they're trying to say something deeper. And that's one thing that's been wonderful, because even though the album format, in a lot of ways, I think, gets abandoned by the consumer, they just want to hear their one song or their one thing, and they don't understand who the artist really is. They just want to hear the one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, MP3s, unfortunately, as great as they are, kind of devalue the full... The full uh, you know, uh, you know, the full collection. Um, but it's been cool with my record. I feel like people are actually going out and getting it and listening to it. And the thing I keep getting, I think, um, the, you know, Bennett at Kill Rock Stars has said like, it feels, I don't see as many torrents of your record. Mm-hmm. It's not like people are stealing. It feels like people are feeling too guilty to steal your mm-hmm. album and yeah. they want to support it. And yeah. that couldn't have been the case if, a number of years ago. It w- wouldn't have been... I mean, torrents also wouldn't have existed, but it wouldn't have been uh, possible for people to find and then research and get.
0: Yeah, exactly. And value. You know, I think value is really at the core of this because everybody really, so far, seems to value comedy in a way that music has, for whatever reason, whatever historical situation we have found ourselves in now, it's like, eh, whatever. You know, I'll just take this MP3. It's in the background. It's in the background. It's not as valuable. It's not as... It's yes. not like
4: you're in a car, there's an investment. You're on a you're on a commute to work and there's an investment. <laughs> the way. You're zoning out when you're listening yeah. to music often. When you're listening to comedy, spoken word, you can't zone out. You, right. you, if you do, you, you go back attention. and listen to it again. It's yeah. what I miss.
0: Yeah. yeah. And that's, I think, part of that thing that I think is so special about what's happening right now. Yes. You know, just making the personal political, people are really having something to say. Yes. They're not just making comedy that's background music. Like, no. let me just say some funny dick jokes right, right, right. in the background.
4: And, and those comics are still there, and they make a living. And at the end of the day, can I argue with people feeling joy even if I don't find joy in it? You know right, what I mean? Right, like, right, You had a long week. You go to a club. You're hearing your dick jokes. You're laughing. You go home. <laughs> like, you know, and I've also been in the situation of— I, you know, I'm you i the comic at the club. You come after a long week. You get a babysitter and there's a guy talking about colonialism and you don't want to hear about colonialism <laughs> on a Friday Look, at 10.30. Tell me 30. some dick jokes, exactly. Kari <laughs> Tell me a, jo- oh, there's a feminist <laughs> dick joke. No, tell me a regular dick joke. Right. Um, so, I mean, I think that, um, yeah, I mean, there's still value in that, but for the folks who have the voices that um, maybe don't get heard as often, that don't get mainstreamed in the same way, this is a special time for us. This is uh, an opportunity to like reach more people, and then you know you can't you can't deny numbers and statistics and me selling out shows. You can't deny that like well he did fill up all these venues and he does do well in all these major cities and he <laughs> right. does. you I mean that's kind of an undeniable thing. There are numbers to back how I do, and right. that wasn't the case without certain gatekeepers before. Right, it's a really exciting time, and yeah. I can play a punk venue, an alternative venue, and. Uh, that, you know, that wasn't a thing people did. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And Americans love statistics. Yeah. So (laughs) you guys win. (laughs) Right, right. Hari Kondabolu is a writer and comedian originally from Queens, New York. That's right. Now living in Brooklyn. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you, Portia. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission from the artists. You heard songs by Bratmobile, Hella, and The Gossip. And of course, our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by The Delta Five. If you have a question you want answered on the show, please email us at thefutureofwhatshow at gmail.com. Our episodes are archived at killrockstars.com thefutureofwhat. And you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Our program is produced by John Sepulvido and Will Watts. Our engineer is Reed Harvey. Thanks to Digital One Studios in Portland. I'm Portia Sabin, president of Kill Rockstars. See you next week.